front, it was over, it was on October 31st. And so um, Halloween, it was Halloween day, and that was on my mind a little bit as I prepared this message. We'll talk about that a little bit. Let's go to 1 John, first epistle of John. I'd like to give you a little background to this epistle. Um, and as we get into this message, actually the title of the message is God is Light. God is Light. And I don't know that if we would have planned the service that anyone could have done a better introduction to the message than Brother Phil did this morning. I, I was overwhelmed because there was multiple messages I could have used and felt like God wanted me to use this one. In fact, he almost preached my message for me. But God has something he wants to tell us this morning because he doesn't give us the same message twice without, without um, him wanting to show us something. And I hope he's trying to show me something. So this third epistle, I mean, I'm sorry, the three epistles of John, though we don't know for sure, seem to have been written by the Apostle John. I mean, there, there's no exact proof of that. Um, the same John that the Bible refers to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's important as you get into, if you do a study on the, on the first epistle of John here. When you understand who he was. Now, he also seems to be the one that wrote the book of John. And as we would understand, he was the only apostle or disciple of Jesus that lived to a very old age. Um, had, he had pastoral care of several churches in Asia Minor. And this book was most likely, most likely a letter that was written to be circulated amongst the churches, not specifically to a church. It was an encouragement to all churches and also to us today. It's very, very applicable to us today. Probably written in the late, at least as late as 80, 60, in the late 80s, or maybe as late as the end of the first century. Um, like I said, John was pretty old when he passed away. So what was John's goal in writing these three epistles? Can anybody tell me? What's the, what was the goal of of first, second, third, well, first John. Let's go to let's go to first John five, verse thirteen. And it gives us a basis for why he wrote this epistle. And he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Brethren, we can know that we have eternal life. And we can know that it only comes through Jesus Christ. And if there's nothing else that we go away from here this morning, it's that fact. You can know that you have eternal life. And I know that some of our old older brethren would feel like you can't know, that you only have a hope. 
there is a fact that we're, you're not, we continue to live for Christ until the day we die. Our salvation is secured the day we die. But you can know that if you die right now, that salvation is secure. That there's actually multiple churches, denominations that say that you can't know. Well, John's combating that. He's saying, yes, we can. We can know that we have eternal life. That was his reason. And there's multiple tests in, in 1 John here that, that give us background to say, hey, are we really who God wants us to be? Now, he's also writing to combat Gnosticism. And I'm not good with big words, what they mean. Um, and we're not going to have much time to get into that today. We'll talk a little bit about it. Let's read 1 John 1. That's going to be our text for the day. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. <coughs> that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so let's go back to verse 1. And here's where the Gnosticism comes in. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. John had walked with Jesus. It says that he reclined on Jesus' bosom. He leaned against his friend. He had touched him. He was as close as a human being could be to Jesus. He had physically touched and handled this word of life. Gnosticism was a teaching that was pretty prevalent in that time that said that all, everything that is, all matter, anything that you can see, feel, or touch is, was actually evil. So anything earthly was evil. So Jesus could not have been true flesh and blood because that would mean he was matter and he was not pure and holy. So he couldn't be flesh and blood. John's saying, that's bogus. He was real. He was flesh and blood. I handled him. I touched him. I know. So he was writing, this is a direct rebuttal to Gnosticism. Gnosticism is much more than that, but that is one of the teachings. So he was saying Jesus was real. He was a man. He walked on this earth. I know it personally. Now verses 2 to 4, I'd like to paraphrase it a little bit. He says, I'm showing you that Jesus was real, eternal present at creation, and is a source of all true joy. Now, 
verse 4 actually brings out about the joy. But it says, um, it talks about the fullness of joy. Now, where does this, as we get into verse 4 and see what we just talked about in verses 2 and 3, where does this, fella, this fullness of joy come from? That your joy may be full. As you look at verses 2 and 3, specifically verse 3, that we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, this Jesus, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Our, fellowship, our tr fullness of joy comes not only from knowing God. That is the first and foremost step, the most important part of it. It comes from fellowship with each other, with human beings, with the church. This fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And as you as a church grow and mature and become a body, that hopefully that fellowship becomes a source of strength. And hopefully it already is, but becomes more of a source of strength. And a, you know your brotherhood has your back. There is such a blessing in that. As you reach out to people, if you have a question, you know, I can turn to my brotherhood for answers. It's not just me in this outreach. It brings joy when you know you're part of a larger body of Christ. All right, verse 5. This then is a message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And I thought our discussion this morning was so fitting. So what is light? Now, I can give you what Wikipedia gives as the definition, but nobody really understands light. But the Wikipedia definition is, visible light is electromagnetic radiation with the portion, within the portion of the electromagnetic spectrum that is perceived by the human eye. Does that really tell us anything? No. What we know about light is, light lets us see. Light exposes what is in darkness? Without light, we are blind. We don't understand it. We can't really truly grasp, and we know how to create it. But what is light? Scientists are still grappling with what light is. As far as I understand, they don't really truly understand light. It gives life. You know, a plant can't grow without light. How does light transfer energy? It, we know it does. God is light. Now, I don't want to take that too far. But no more, we, just as we can't understand light, we can't understand God. But we know who he is. Now, do you think that John understood that, what light was, the, the scientific explanation of light? I don't think he did. But he understood what it did. He understood what Jesus did. He didn't fully understand everything about who, who Jesus was, but he understood what he did. So what is light spiritually? It's that which comes from God. And I thought in our discussion this morning it was so interesting because did God create evil? By creating good, God created evil. 
God does not do evil. But he said, thou shalt not, therefore it became evil. And by that thou shalt not, we understand what is light and what is darkness. And so did God create evil? Yes, he did. He didn't make us do it. He doesn't make anyone do evil. But he did. He was the one that created it. And sometimes we've got a, a man that comes to church that he really grapples with that. He's not a Christian, and he's a very bitter man. And he says, how can God have created evil and then judge us for doing it? It's hard to deal with some of those things. But at, when, if he would just simply un, see God for who he is, the light of who God is, all of a sudden the evil wouldn't be so important anymore. And he can't get past that. I hope someday he does. So true light is the power which comes from God that drives away darkness and exposes what is actually there. Isaiah spoke of this true light in his prophecy of Jesus' birth. He said in Isaiah 9, 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Jesus was God's light to mankind. Can you imagine before Jesus' time, no light, no true light. The Holy Spirit worked, there was prophecy, but darkness, not, no, no real light. So let's look a little bit at darkness. What, was, what is darkness? We took a tour of Mammoth Cave one time. Probably all of y'all have done this. Took a tour of the cave and they shut the lights off and they said, what's well, true darkness? They turned the lights off. Darkness is the absence of light. And one thing they told us, it was a trick. They said, if you put your thumb against your nose and wiggle your hand real fast, you might see a little glow. And then they flipped the lights back on. It's kind of funny. But anyway, uh, when you experience true darkness where there is no light, it is, it's, it, you feel it. There are places in the world that are that way. There are communities that are that way. I think even in America, where there is very little light, it, darkness is so oppressive. And people learn to operate within that darkness and to manipulate using that darkness. And it is, it's, it's terrible what it does to people. Within, well, in that thought of a community that's bound up in darkness, I know of a mission field, personally, where it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of people won. It's been, this mission, mission field's been there a long time. Hasn't been a lot of people won, but they say the community has completely changed because of the light that they brought in. It's a different place because of the presence of the light of those missionaries that are there. Never underestimate what you're doing. Even if souls aren't being won to the Lord every week, your presence, God's light, does bring life. So what is spiritual darkness? The absence of light or God who is the source of all, all spiritual light. Without God, there is darkness. Now, there are two forces in the spiritual world. It's light and darkness. Christ and Satan, that's all there is. We can get really kind of mixed up in where are we at. No, there's two things. You're either Satan's kingdom or you're in Christ's kingdom. It's light or darkness. Which kingdom are you part of? You can know. You're not half in 
one and half in the other. We don't just hop back and forth between the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. Either we walk in the light or we walk in darkness. And you, you get in the darkness by pushing out the light, as we talked about this morning. I thought that was so good. We, when we start to ignore that light, to shut it off, you automatically walk in darkness. And I want to touch lightly on Halloween. I don't know where you all are at in celebrating Halloween. And on, on the surface, Halloween can seem fairly benign and fun, and to most it is. But to Satanists, Halloween is essentially what Easter is to Christians. At Easter, we celebrate life. At Halloween, they celebrate death. It is the Satanist's most important holiday. And I'm not going to go into detail about what all happens on Halloween. You can study into it if you wish. It's not pretty. It's a study of darkness. But as you look at the Old Testament and what the idol worshipers did then, I don't know if you all know what the god of Molech was, where they had, was a bronze god that they would light a fire in and they would lay a child on his arms. Terrible, terrible worship of Satan. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Satan has changed from then till now? I don't think he has. Do you think things that pleased Satan then has changed now? If anything, I would say they've probably gotten worse. So why would his followers that try to worship Satan do things different now than they did then? I don't know what all happens on Halloween. I don't want to dig in too deeply. I'm just saying, if Satan was pleased with it then, he's pleased with it now. Halloween is a celebration of the dead, and it's a Satanist holiday. I personally want nothing to do with it. In fact, I had a friend that texted me. He, he's a friend that I met on a construction site, and he texted me just about every holiday, just checking in, texted me. Haven't seen him in years, but I still get texts from him. And he texted me on, ha on Halloween, happy Halloween. What am I supposed to do? Quite frankly, I ignored the text. But I, was, I beat him to the punch on um, Thanksgiving Day texting him, happy Thanksgiving. So, well, we could turn to Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 15. It talks about, we're not going to, we don't have time this morning, but it talks about um, when, when you go into the land and um, the, the, the Israelites are supposed to drive out everybody that um, worships Satan and, and witches, those that brought back the dead. Uh, we just talked not too long ago where Saul went and brought... Um, was sent Samuel from the dead anyway those people were supposed to be driven out we're not supposed to be among them that's kind of what we're what people celebrate at Halloween witches and and that whole line of and God says have nothing to do with it I don't think it's changed today I don't think we have we should have any part of that so is Halloween a celebration of light or darkness good or evil I think it's pretty much, I would say, celebration of evil. And I don't think we, as God's people, need to have anything to do with it. God is light. Verse 5 says, God is light, and then in him is no darkness. 
So let's consider who God is to us. If God is light, who is he to us? Who is he to us personally? Is he our light? What is my way of thinking about God? Do I see him as a moral standard that I have to somehow meet up to and grudgingly try to live as good as he wants me to? Or do I see him as the source of light that frees me from darkness? If we see him as a moral standard that we have to try to live up to, we're going to live in constantly trying to be good enough. But when we see God as the source that drives away the darkness, the more we allow him into our life, the freer we are from, those, from darkness, the more it doesn't have an effect on us, the freer we are to, to serve him, the more we live in freedom. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Without light, there is no vision. You cannot see without light. So without light, without God, people perish. So what does it mean, verse 6, it says, well, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So what does it mean to walk in darkness? We can, easy, we can say, well, it means we're sinning. Well, I like to look at the word walk a little bit. Walk means to, to move around in. It's a progression. It's not, um, it's something you're continuing to do. You're moving forward in it. So, it has the connotation of enjoying or intentionally taking part of something continuously. When my wife and I go for a walk, we have a destination. We're walking together. We're enjoying what we're doing. And it's not like we took one step together. That's not a walk. You know, it's continuing in something. So, if that describes what our relationship with sin... If we're walking in sin, enjoying sin, continuing in it, he's saying, wait a minute, if that's your life, you're not in light. You're, not, you're, in, you're part of the kingdom of darkness. Sure, there's some times we stumble. Did that mean we go walking in sin? No. We get back up, we repent, and we walk in the light. What are, what, where is your heart? In, your, in whatever you're doing, are you enjoying sin or enjoying those, maybe I should say, are we enjoying those that promote sin? <coughs> or are we enjoying what promotes life? And if you look at that in your heart, those two things, you can pretty quickly tell, where's my heart? Am I, which side am I on? Verse 7, but if our focus is Christ and his will for us, if we walk in the light, where's our focus? As he is in the light, if we're living according to the truth that we've been given, what we know in Scripture, then verse 7 is true of us. We walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us 
from all sin. It doesn't say cleaned us from all sin. It's a continual verb there. I'm not good with English, but it's a progression. It keeps on happening. Cleanseth us from all sin. Now, why is that important? It keeps on cleaning. Now, why is that necessary? Why does the blood of Jesus need to keep on cleaning us from sin? We're clean, right? Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Does that mean that we allow sin in our lives? If you're intentionally allowing sin in your life, you're getting really close to walking in it. That's not what it's talking about. We talked this morning, Brother Lamar said about sometimes God uses others or circumstances to show us, hey, wait a minute, I've got something in my life. It's not supposed to be there. Maybe we've been living with a, an attitude in our heart, bitterness, or a longing for something somebody else has. Covetousness, greed. Until the Lord shows that to you, He is cleaning that. He keeps on cleaning us from those sins that we don't realize we are committing. As you grow, and spiritually, there's more and more things that the Lord brings to you. Like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to be in your life. It was covered under the blood. It was God, Christ's blood was cleaning us until he showed it to us. And then we need to deal with it. So Christ's blood cleanseth us. It keeps on cleaning us. Now, this is why we have revivals. Sometimes we live our lives and just kind of ignore those areas and don't really think about them. But when we have a week of meetings, or maybe it's a fall Bible conference, where we focus on a certain area and we look at this and say, wait a minute, is my life really what God wants it to be? And we let that light shine in to drive the darkness out. We all live in a world that is constantly putting pressure on us to turn from the light. The darkness of self and sin is a constant force to be dealt with and resisted by every child of God. And when God shows us an area of this darkness and we let that light shine in, we, walk back, we continue to walk in the light in that way. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What if that verse wasn't in the Bible? You ever thought about that? If you didn't have that verse and several others similar to it, God will forgive us. What a hopeless mess we would be if we didn't know that God forgives us. If we are doing, if we are taking care of things that God shows us, as we realize there's sin in our lives, or areas that God wants changed, and we deal with them, <coughs> repent of them, and move on, that's walking in the light. Some people would struggle with, and I understand this very well because I've been there. When we see those areas in our lives, well, I, I was a sinner. 
I was walking in darkness. No, remember, his blood cleanseth us. Until a child is old enough to understand the scriptures and the Holy Spirit can speak into his life, he's saved, right? You're a child of God. Until God brings that to your life, to your heart, until God shows you that there's sin in your life, you're saved if you're walking according to what you know. You're either in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness, one or the other. When, we, when God shows us those things, if we don't deal with them, we start to push out that light. So, let's see, where am I at here? Get, get, get mixed up here. Nobody's perfect. As we look at each other, we say, if I was only like him, he's not you. Don't do that. Look at your own life. Those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Now, we need to look at each other and look for inspiration, for growth, for I want to be more than I am, for encouragement. If we are faithful to God, he's faithful to us. He will show those areas that he wants us to grow in. Matthew 5.14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light <clears throat> excuse me, unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'd like to, for you all to think about your church here as a light by 1115. You know how many people go up and down this road? How many people in this community see this church? Now, it's not very evident this church right now, but as it matures and grows, you are a light, a city on a, a set on a hill. It can't be hid if you really live in that, in that light. So if we want to let our light shine, if we want people to know which side, whether we're in light or darkness, we have got to let God do his work in our lives. I'll give you an example. You can't hide the light. If it is really radiating within you, you can't hide it. A friend of mine and I were talking about a specific couple, and um, they were going through some church changes, and, and we were discussing a little bit what they were going through, and he said, you know, there's one thing you know. Every time you meet them, you can see the light of God shining out of their eyes, and you can. They just love the Lord, and it just shines out of their eyes. We had no question about where their hearts are. The light of God will shine out if you let his light shine in. Are we letting God's light really permeate our lives? There's only one way to find that light, and that's to spend time in God's word and to spend time with that source of light. And I like what Brother Lamar said this morning about um, an intimate relationship with the Lord and his word. How do we know God? How do we know our wives? It's a very similar situation. The more we spend time with our spouse or with our friends, the more we know them. It's the same with God. The more we spend time in his word, letting his spirit speak through us, the more we know him. And the more we know him, the more that light will shine out of us. Which side are you on? Light or dark? There's only two. Let's stand for prayer.